Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another segment of the Cisco and Fawzone Hour of Broadcasting Politics. And that's a special great message to our show writer, Doreen Ann. You know, she has this organization, Students for a Better Future. Does a great job. Best wishes, Doreen. Doreen Ann. And, um, Keep up the great work that you're doing. Well, tonight's show, we've been trying to get Robert Bork. Um, his son is going to be appearing tonight, Robert Bork Jr. And on behalf of his, of his father, with an updated version of the antitrust paradox by Judge Robert H. Bork. He should be here in about five minutes. Um, but in the meantime, my co-host will not be here tonight. Unfortunately, he will be away today. But the show must go on. So we're looking at a very, very serious situation. The White House today declare that there are 12 people on Facebook that are the ones that are keeping and providing misinformation. And they want the White House, listen to this, the White House wants Facebook and the big tech companies like Twitter and all that to basically censor them. Okay, are we living in China, North Korea, or are we living in the United States? This is what is transpiring, ladies and gentlemen. This comes out of the press secretary, Jane Paskey, coming directly from the White House after the Surgeon General indicated that the reason because of the low jab rate in the United States, it has to do with these 12 individuals. So what I'm saying is if your message was so good, those 12 people would be irrelevant. So you're indicating to the whole world that your message is not really good. The people are not believing. So this is the America that we are seeing today. This is the America that if we don't go out there and, and be active, the future for our children will not be bright. It will be a future of censoring. So only the things that are appropriate will be allowed. So might as well go to China because that's what happened. I remember mentioning on, on, the, on, the, on this on the air when I went there, one of our colleagues said something negative about the restaurants and he was blocked, censored for the next week. I didn't think that I would be actually saying these things, but that's the reality. That came out today. 
today, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm 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 looking forward to speaking to Robert Bork Jr. to see how would his father, Judge Robert H. Bork, sees America today. Because we are in a crisis, a total crisis, and this is not going away. You know, people may think, oh, it's just this administration. Well, to a certain extent, that could be true. But it's the agenda that people need to, to understand. There's an agenda here. And unless you understand what the agenda is, you won't know why they're saying these things. So let me call Robert Bork Jr. And uh, we're still on the line. Uh, but that's, that's the situation right now. That is the situation that we're facing. Uh, and uh, hello. Yes, this is this is uh, Cisco from the uh, broadcasting politics. Yeah, <laughs> I just uh, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to our audience and, and, and come on the program. Sure. No problem. Uh, how long is this uh, going to run, by the way? As long as you want. Oh, well, I don't know. Somebody told me it was 45 minutes, but that seems a bit minutes, long. 45 minutes, uh, but we can, we can work around your time because there's so much to cover, especially your dad that really uh, – you know, I'm a big admirer of your dad. I, I really supported him in every aspect. I thought he he he, he deserved to be on the Supreme Court, and uh, I'm just glad that I'm able to to interview you. Sure. No. Let's to, let's let's uh, rock and roll. I'm ready to go. All right. So as I I was going to mention, um, I briefly gave a, a brief description of what was going to be on on the show tonight. But one of the things that we want, I want to jump right into it, not waste any time. What is your current observation of what's happening today in America in regards to censorship? Uh, well, if you're referring to the uh, big tech platforms like Twitter and Facebook, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and uh, you know and the censorship that goes on there, I'm absolutely. Uh, appalled by it, and I, I opposed to it, and I, I don't understand. Frankly, on one level, I don't understand why they're doing it because all it's doing is creating a, a bigger problem for themselves on uh, antitrust policy issues, um, right. and and and, and uh, upsetting. Upsetting is hardly the word. Uh, you know, the, the uh, there's white hot anger on the right you know, among conservatives uh, about what they're up to, and it makes no sense for them to be doing it. Uh, and they are walking, you know, they are uh, allowing conservatives to walk into a trap uh, with uh, laid for them by the uh, left, by the Democrats, the progressives, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and support and antitrust uh, reform legislation. 
uh, which will, you know, harm not just the companies themselves, but it'll harm America and consumers and you know capitalism. So it's a I, I'm upset by it. I think, however, that a lot of the talk about what to do about this censorship. Uh, that focuses on antitrust policy and breaking up right. these companies right. is a huge mistake. Antitrust has nothing to do with, uh, you know, these, free, these speech issues. Uh, it has everything to do with consumer welfare and economics and maximizing the value uh, right. of, of, for consumers. Uh, but if you want to fix this, you got to go look at, you know, either make new laws or, or, or make some changes to Section 230, right. uh, which I know you know what, what that is, yes, and, and or, um, you know, there's a, there's, for example, there's this new uh, proposal called the PACT Act by Senator Schatz and uh, Soon, a Republican and a Democrat, right. and, uh, you know, to, for more transparency, for uh, recourse, uh, you know, if you if you get uh, blocked or uh, censored, uh, quick re- recourse, and they even have proposals in there about how you can sue these companies. Now, I'm not a fan of expanding lawsuits, but right. I understand <laughs> I understand the frustration, and I think there's some good stuff in there. And I think if we try to blend some of the better ideas in that proposal and with others, uh, we can fix this so that. Uh, it'll, you know, the, the, the uh, woke censorship that's going on will, uh, I think, be diminished substantially and perhaps even disappear. Uh, and of course, there are other ways to go, as well, is that uh, you know, have competition with these right. platforms like Parler and others. There, are, you know, a couple of others that are out there. There's right. this fellow whose name I forget now, who's come up with a a new phone, a new kind of yes. mobile phone. And, pro, uh, pro, pro freedom phone. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. uh, you know, so there are plenty of there are plenty of uh, there are plenty of things going on that lead me to believe that this problem will be short lived. Uh, and you know, I, I like to tell people all the time that when we're pounding our fists on the table and getting angry about what's going on this minute, remember this minute will be gone soon. And something else will come along. You got to remember that Yahoo was the dominant search engine. It's gone essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know, MySpace is gone essentially, and there's Facebook, and Facebook and, and some of these other you know platforms will uh, find themselves uh, with uh, you know not always being number one. Uh, so right. you know we'll see about that. But again, it's but, hard not to be mad in the moment. Oh yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of our, my listening audience there. They, they, the way they respond is, what can we do about it? And right now, the Facebook and Twitter and a lot of these social media uh, giants are basically hiding and being protected by Section one, uh, 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 thirty. Section two thirty, yeah. Two thirty, yes. It, it, well, I think they case. sort of are. And I listen. I understand. You know, that law was passed what twenty years ago, more than that, and it was designed mm-hmm. to uh, help these fledgling platforms take off to, you know, to expand, to use the Internet so that we could all mm-hmm. communicate with each other. Uh, and right. the reason was, remember, the reason, the reason was, was so that they couldn't be held liable for 
stuff that people were saying on their platform, you know, crazy stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, things that might, if, if they were a publisher, like Time Magazine or something, and they published some of this stuff, then, you know, you would, you would sue mm-hmm. them. Um, All right. So that's what it was for. I think, you know, things have gotten a little out of hand. And, and um, mm-hmm. But i got to say, they, 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 again, they, they, they are not helping themselves when they block uh, President Trump. Exactly. Uh, whether you like what he says or not, you know, they shouldn't have blocked him, and they shouldn't be blocking other people. However, there are people that they do allow who call for violence, terrorists. Exactly. You know, uh, I mean, I've seen it. And, uh, yeah. and uh, on the Instagram, you can see ads for illegal OxyContin and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I think they need to be doing a better job, but I think they're – they're caught between their own prejudices, their own political uh, mm-hmm. bias, and by, by their con- fear of getting sued or something. So they're 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 stuck. And I actually also think that there's you know I, I'm I'm an old guy, but there are a lot of young people. <laughs> there are a lot of young people out there who, who that they who they employ, uh, who I think they give a little bit too much. Uh, uh, license to, uh, you know, license to to, uh, to censor, and uh, they maybe you should rein those kids in a little bit. But uh, anyway. are you talk, are you talking about those fact checkers? <laughs> yeah, those people. You know, I mean, or somebody put, so, you know, some of this stuff is algorithm driven. Exactly. But then they're humans, and who are the humans? I mean, they're not old conservatives like me. They're uh, <laughs> they're young kids who. I assume who don't know very much about anything and uh and are reacting to their you know their personal biases. Um but I I don't, I don't know enough about how those their system works. All I know is it's not working very well. Yeah, it's it, it it's kind of I agree with you totally it's it's uh they're in trouble and, and especially they have the, the the perception now is that they're basically uh, working like the Chinese, the, the 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 Chinese Communist Party, you know, just controlling everything that that is said on 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 the, on, the, on their media. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's not an unfair uh, you know comparison, except for the Chinese tend to lock people up and throw away the key. So uh, yeah, but if that starts happening, then we have a real problem. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, one the competition won't fix. So. <laughs> that's right, but. Now that you mentioned that, you brought me right into the next uh, uh, part of the uh, interview. Today we had the press secretary uh, and mentioning that there are 12 individuals on Facebook that are creating misinformation regarding the jab and that they're asking big tech to basically censor. Now, my question to you, if that was to happen, Section 230 would be eliminated because they wouldn't be, they would be helping the state government. I know where you're going, and I think you might be right. Um, I, I, you know, I'd I'd like to know more about what you said, but it does sound like what you had was state-sanctioned restrictions on speech, right? Yes. Yeah. So then now, now we're in First Amendment territory. You know, part of the problem with uh, the uh, pr- uh, former president's lawsuit is that nobody can quite figure out what his First Amendment protections are. He didn't, doesn't really have any. He may have other 
mm-hmm. protections. He may have there may be a tort. He may have you know been harmed financially. Uh, he may have been defamed. Although it's hard to defame someone uh, who is a public figure under you know under the law these days. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and it's hard to defame him uh, in particular. But uh, but uh, yeah. But what you know. What, once the government says to a private company, uh, you may not publish certain people's person's speech, well, now you're into First Amendment territory, and there's going to be repercussions from that. Definitely, definitely. That's, that, that, I mean, I, my monologue was part of that. I mean, it basically consists of, for the first time in my lifetime, I, I'm hearing that we are heading in, in, a, in a totally – uncontrollable, slippery road when it comes to the First Amendment. I mean, just basically when we have state government uh, basically telling private companies that now they, they need to censor people because the message, like I said in my monologue, if the message was so good, they wouldn't have to do that because people would basically go ahead and, and, and take the job. But it appears... Yeah. It appears that yeah. the message is not good, not good enough. Look, uh, I, there, there's something on the left that I, it's hard to understand how how they can be this stupid. Um, but you know, there's there should be more speech, not less speech. And if you don't like the speech, either argue with them or yeah. change the channel. You know, I mean, my God, I have so many channels on my television now. Uh, with the left left wing propaganda like CNN and other things and MSNBC, but I don't I don't but I don't call Verizon and say take them off you know exactly. you know I don't want to turn them off I just change the channel I don't exactly. watch them exactly um, the antitrust paradox the book by your by your dad uh, we've gone through these antitrust monopoly scenarios from the the breakup of, of AT&T, Ma Bell, to all the big banks. Where does, where does the antitrust uh, uh, scenario situation in today's world, uh, in, the, in the U.S., where, where, where is that at? Okay. Well, look, let me, let me get, if I can just give you a little bit of history. Yes. So, you know, the antitrust laws uh, were written in the late 19th century. Uh, Clayton Act, the Sherman Act, mm-hmm. um, and they were designed to deal with the problem of these trusts, like Standard Oil. They were organized as trusts, hence the name antitrust. For our purposes today, perhaps the better word, better term would be competition laws, right? They're about competition laws. However, for the last, really up until 1978, when my father wrote the antitrust paradox, mm-hmm. con- Competition law; these acts were were totally a jumble. Uh, you know, there was they were open to the interpretation of the Supreme Court and other judges. Everybody was inserting their own personal views. Uh, Justice Brandeis, uh, you know, essentially termed coined the term "big is bad" uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and said that the law should be designed to protect worthy men. He was focused on competitors. Uh, and so was uh, uh, Justice William O. Douglas later. Uh, they were they focused on competitors, and they ended up ruling in ways that protected inefficient competitors, inefficient companies, 
you know, and, and harmed the more efficient companies. And this, and this was the paradox my father wrote about in the book. He, he came up with, and he wasn't the only one, there were others coming out of the Chicago School of Law and Economics, uh, who said, look, what was the essence, or maybe even the original intent of these laws? It was to protect the consumer. And so right. he came up with this, this notion this, of, of the consumer welfare standard, or I think originally they called it the consumer welfare prescription. So somebody... Uh, a company called Sonitone in 19, got, read the book when it came out in 70, 1978 and said, hey, this makes sense for our case. And they put it in their pleadings to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court cited it and adopted it in 1979. Now, I've never heard of anything like that ever happening before, but wow. I'm glad it did. And uh, it's been upheld and, and, and uh, cited 100 times since by, by the Supreme Court and other courts. So it's basically been codified. And so now we have, as the center of our competition policy law, or antitrust law, uh, this consumer welfare standard that says the law is designed to maximize consumer welfare. So if you're sitting over at the Justice Department, the antitrust division, or the FTC, you're supposed to look at what the proposed corporate action is, whether it's a merger or something else, and say to yourself, okay, are consumers going to be harmed by this? And if they're not, then you let the merger or whatever it is, the deal, go through. Uh, and if they are, you enforce the law, and you, and you, and you show how they're going to be harmed. Um, what my, my father actually wrote this book, started writing it in the late 60s, when he was very concerned about what was going on in uh, our politics and culture from the left. And there was a lot of talk then about using the antitrust laws to um, bust up uh, corporate uh, corporations, and he was concerned about that. So he started working on the book uh, in the late 60s. Uh, he was then had to put it down uh, because uh, two things: one, my mother became ill, and then we went. Hmm. He was uh, he was in the government uh, as solicitor general, and you know all that stuff that happened right. there. Mm -hmm. And um, so when he was able to finish it, it was 1978 after he got out of the government and uh, published it and. Uh, uh, you know, there you go. So uh, now I'm, you know, was looking for a copy of the book. I have old tattered copies, but I was trying to find a, a, a new, a newer version, a paperback version, and he couldn't find it. It's out of print. So I searched around and tried to figure out who I could get to publish it, and ultimately decided I'm going to publish it myself. And I created a publishing company to do that, and wow. uh, and and we published it in April. Uh, with a new introduction by Senator Mike Lee from Utah, who's the right. uh, ranking member of the Senate Antitrust Subcommittee, and a good friend of the Consumer Welfare Standard, and uh, and me. I wrote a forward also, so oh, you can find you. it on that evil platform Amazon uh, or on, <laughs> or Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's there. I don't know. You can find it in any bookstores, but you can find it there. And. Uh, doing well, very well and it's a great read it's very accessible and it deals with the underlying issue right now i mean when the president of the united states mentions the consumer welfare standard and says it's a failure when lena khan says it's a failure uh they don't know what they're talking about i wrote a piece in the wall street journal that ran on monday and tuesday right. uh, tuesday in the paper uh you know where he where the president said that uh you know, there was this was a failed experiment. There was less growth, 
and uh, less investment and fewer and fewer small businesses, which I said, that doesn't sound right, and I checked it, and it's true. I mean, it's not true. There, the, we've, the economy has tripled in the period since the consumer welfare standard was adopted. Yeah. Uh, Inflation-adjusted annual rate of return from 80 to 1980 to 2020 is almost 10%. Uh, and uh, and uh, there fewer small businesses? Not so. 54% increase in small businesses since 1980. That's wow. not fewer small businesses. So the president is either lying. No, that can't be right. He must have been misinformed. He must have been misinformed. Yeah. So I think I think the misinformed <laughs> misinformed. But I wanted to talk he, to he, you. he came he came to Casablanca for the waters. <laughs> but I, I I wanted to touch on, on, on two mergers. Three. T Mobile okay. T Mobile and Spring. C V S and Viacom. And the other one that did not materialize, and I want to get your perspective on it, AT&T and Time Warner? Well, that did materialize. Eventually. And that's, a, and that's a perfect example. I, I really can't speak to the other two. I honestly God, don't know much about either okay. of them. I, but I do know about AT&T and Time Warner. Okay. Um, yeah. So th- that's a complicated case because it's a vertical merger. And my father, in his book, made the case, and it has been essentially, again, uh, the working uh, theory of antitrust enforcers that there's really nothing wrong with a vertical merger. These are you know, mergers, not a horizontal merger, where, where companies in the same business merge with each other and right. concentrate, uh, you know, concentrate the, the economy in that, in that sector. A vertical merger is companies that don't have really anything in common. So like AT&T, which... You know, has telephones, and, or, you know, it has direct TV and all this stuff, buys a content company, a media content company. Um, well, it, it should have been a no-brainer that that should have gone through. But it was a big deal, and, you know, big deals are like shiny lights to these antitrust moths in the antitrust division. You know, they, they want to swarm all over it. Um, and not to mention the fact that President Trump, uh, didn't like AT&T, and he didn't like CNN, which was one of the Time Warner properties. Right. So mm-hmm. I think he may have said something to somebody. We don't really know. And so they went and they tried to make a federal case to stop it. And it went to court, and they lost. Because as Judge, uh, uh, Judge Leon, Richard Leon basically said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's no problem here. Uh uh, almost in those words. Uh, so, but here's the thing. This is what I love about this 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 case. Right. They don't know what the, you know. AT and T didn't know how to manage a media company. So they they take it over. They try to integrate it into their business. It doesn't work. They don't know what they're doing. The marketplace takes over and they sell it. You know. So look, we don't need the government to block things. These guys will screw it up themselves, and then they'll have to sell it. Uh, I think it's a perfect example of how the market, free market works. It's a correct problem. No, I, so I, I, I agree. I, I yeah. agree. I agree. With, uh, I'm a free market capitalist, uh, totally, and everything. Uh, we'll we'll put up your book on our website and promote it. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Two five four six five four. Do you have a question for Robert H. Bork Jr.? 
Uh, not yet. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Bond, you 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 they they're focusing so much on 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 you. So, um, so the vertical merge is great. The horizontal mergers are not. Well, not necessarily, but they but they they should be examined. Right. You know, because they, those are the kinds of mergers that are going to lead to um, perhaps. Unfair competition, you know, concentration in the market in, in, a, in a particular market. So yeah, look at those and look at the look at the vertical ones too. Give them a, give them a once over, give them a review. But essentially, by definition, there really isn't likely to be a problem with them. Um, and so, frankly, vertical merger review has been an area that the Justice Department has been fairly lenient in uh, the last 40 years. Um, I think they're rewriting their rules now because, frankly, these guys want to get into everything. Right. Uh, they want to bust up everything. Uh, so, uh, and it's a, I think really it's more about control and concern that, you know, corporate America, corporations may have um, more influence and power than the government does, and they don't like that. Definitely. But that's just you- me. <laughs> Do you think the FTC has been politicized? I think the FTC is has become an agent uh, of, uh, of of socialism. Lena Khan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, come on! It's 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 so obvious, and and they they act like, frankly, they act like uh, now like fascists. I mean, it, okay. So Lena Khan. It's an inexperienced celebrity antitrust expert, so-called, because she wrote a paper in uh, about three, four years ago uh, on, called the the, uh, the Amazon antitrust paradox, and uh, kind of playing off my dad's thing. And you know, don't listen to me. Listen to the, the dean of antitrust uh, experts, Herbert Hovenkamp. Uh, who served in the Clinton and Obama administrations and wrote that Khan's claims in that paper are, quote, technically undisciplined, untestable, and even incoherent. Wow. You'd think he'd be on her side. That's right. Uh, And then he said that her work, uh, quote, never explains how a non-manufacturing retailer such as Amazon could ever recover its investment in below-cost pricing by later raising prices and even disputes that raising prices to higher levels ever needs to be part of the strategy, uh, thus indicating that, it is confusing preda- that she is confusing predation with investment. So basically saying in a bunch of highfalutin words, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know and, and then, of course, a Republican former member of the FTC, Josh Wright, said that uh, she's revealed a profound lack of understanding of the consumer welfare model and the rule of reason framework. So, look got people on both sides saying she doesn't know what she's talking about, but she fits the model perfectly. She, she, she feeds what the left wants to do, which is to uh, take over uh, the economy using antitrust, weaponize antitrust. And so they put her on the commission, and then they immediately turn around and make her chairman. She immediately then puts a ga- – this has been reported in Politico. I'm not making this up uh, – that right. she immediately puts a gag order – on everybody in the FTC and says, you will not do public speaking. You will not participate in conferences and programs. Um, and why is she doing that? Because those people who are professional staff at the FTC 
you know, enjoy doing that. It's part of their mission, they feel. And now they're being right. gagged. So they're all going to quit, and she's going to replace them with loyalists. Uh, it is, it's a mess. And then she also, I, <laughs> the most important thing, there's a memo. It's part of the FTC sort of rules of the road, uh, adopting the con- consumer welfare standard as uh, its, uh, its uh, you know, marching orders. And, um, and they had a meeting uh, last week, and they tore it up. So <laughs> basically they're saying, you know, there are no rules. Uh, we can do what we want. Oh, I forgot one other thing. There's a chief administrative law judge who's supposed to, at the FTC, and the uh-huh. administrative law judges are supposed to he- hold hearings in particular, in, in a case, you know, a complaint or whatever, and, 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 de- and make decisions. She, she uh, essentially fired the chief administrative law judge and said that, no, 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 the commission will be deciding all these things. We don't need you to do that. So wow. she's, she's uh, you know, taking power to herself, more power, and changing the rules so that she can do what she wants. Yeah, the FTC is highly politicized, and that's exactly what Joe Biden wants. Well, it, 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 it continues to sound and look like the CCP. <laughs> You know, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, the way these individuals in the uh, Biden administration are just basically power hungry. And uh, if you're not, if you don't toe the line, you'll be out. Uh, To move on to the next thing, uh, one of the criticisms that the Democrats did when, when, um, when Ronald Reagan nominated your father for justice of the Supreme Court was that your father's view on the U.S. Constitution included no rights to privacy. That's not exactly what he said, but um, okay. But he said that, that, that was, there is no yeah. explicit right of privacy stated in the Constitution. That's what he said. He didn't say there were no rights to privacy. I mean, what is the what 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 is the you know what are the rules about search and seizure you know about um, you know the Fourth mm-hmm. Amendment. You know, those are rights to privacy, but there's no explicit generalized right to privacy. That's right. I mean, they, they twisted the words to, to make, it, make your father look like he was anti-privacy. That's not yet. That was, they, they twisted his words and just lied outright about him to, to, to suggest that he was a racist. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, I mean, if you, if you remember Ted Kennedy's famous floor mm-hmm. speech, about yes. half an hour after he was nominated, mm-hmm. you know, my father once said, uh, you know, if I, if I believe 10% of the things about, about they said about me, I would have committed Harry Keary, you know, at the, at the hearing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> how, how tough was that, going through that process after President Reagan nominated your father, going through that scrutin, scrutinizing process, with your, you know, your mother, your, uh, your, your, your siblings. I mean, your family. I mean, that yeah. must have been very. We, very... Well, we all sat, we all sat with him right behind him during all, all the whole week of hearings, and yeah. and uh, we were together. It was a very, it was a bonding experience. If we needed any more bonding by that point, but it was a bonding <laughs> experience. Um, and it was horribly frustrating to just sit there, and watch and listen to him being lied about, um, right. by these people. Uh, in fact, but I'll tell you, it was interesting. Um, I, I was I, at that time. I was a reporter at U.S. News and World Report, 
I took a leave of absence so I could mm-hmm. help in any way I could. I was 32, I think. Uh, yeah. And um, <clears throat> so uh, I, I, I decided I had to do something, and I wrote an op-ed that appeared in the Washington Post saying, you know, essentially saying he's not the guy you're saying he is. And uh, that caused, uh, you know, television shows to call me up like uh, Good Morning America and some shows that don't even exist anymore, like uh, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and uh, things like that. And I did a couple of them, and my dad called me. I was up in New York doing them, and he said, I want you to stop. I said, why? Nobody else is out there defending you, you know. I mean, and he said, it's undignified, and I don't want you to do it. And, you know, he viewed himself as a sitting federal judge who was constrained in what he could say. Mm -hmm. Um, He tried to defend himself as best he felt he could, but he did not want to – he was – just absolutely stunned that this had turned into a political campaign and, and that he was essentially being forced to run for office uh, and being attacked in the most vicious ways by a coalition of over a hundred left-wing groups. And we didn't, we had a little coalition of ourselves, ourselves that sort of sprung up, but it wasn't, didn't have the money. We weren't running mm-hmm. TV ads like they were. Uh, that's all changed now, of course, because the, you know, the, the the right 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 wing is running you know campaigns in on behalf of Kavanaugh and Comey and uh, Coney sorry uh, so anyway he just said stop it so I stopped it and uh, but wow. it was very painful it was very painful to watch and and you know for things that we we could see that other people couldn't see there's people just lying um, and the press wasn't my friends in the press some of these people my personal friends. They weren't doing anything. They just sort of along for the ride. Very so you were, you, you were, were you isolated since you were part of the press because your your dad was nominated and then he, were you well, isolated? I, what do you mean? I, I don't know what you mean by isolated. Um, uh, I mean, you know, the left wing media can basically isolate you and, 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 and just ignore you. Yeah. Well, I had seen that even before he was nominated. Um, I, I, you know, I was not particularly political, and uh, uh, but I, I thought I was sort of commonsensical, and I, I would pr- propose stories uh, at, at U.S. News and, and have them spiked um, because they went against the sort of liberal orthodoxy. Uh, but uh, and I, and after this whole thing with my dad, after the confirmation was over, I went back to work for about a week, and I just sort of sat in my office at U.S. News, and then I quit. I quit journalism. I just was fed up. I couldn't do it anymore. So, okay. uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I think uh, two five four six five four. You're ready to um, to ask a question or make a statement? Well, I was wondering about the merge. How big companies get together and merge, and I always found that to be monopolizing, where small business could not compete. Um, well, you know, I guess that could could be true in some some case or another. Uh, you know, typically mergers happen because the say the two companies think that they can do a better job together than they can do separately. That one company perhaps right. has tech technology or uh, you know money that it can bring and help the other company you know, 
improve its product, reach more consumers. Uh, that's why they happen. Not, I don't think they happen, generally speaking, to create a monopoly, and I don't think typically they do create monopolies. They, they create better product and better services uh, for consumers. Um, but I get your point that uh, you know, one needs to be concerned about that, and that's why there's a review process in the Antitrust Division of the Justice Department and the, at the FTC. Uh, the question is, you know, should you be opposed to mergers just because it's two companies and maybe they're even one of them is big or both of them are big, or should you, you know, here's one of the things that's happening right now, and, and it's absolutely insane. In the legislation that's up in the, in the Senate and the House, there's a, there's a view to, do you ever see the movie Minority Report about pre-crime? Yes. Well, mm-hmm. that's what's going on now. They're not, they want to make it uh, that a company has to prove that its merger will never result in anything bad ever happening. I mean, it, pr- pr- prove to me that in, in 10 years from now, nothing bad will have come from your merger, or you know, there'll be no more concentration or whatever. You can't do that. It's impossible. So they want to, you know, it's a, sort of a pre-crime prescription that they want to do. And, and then a Republican, Josh Hawley of Missouri, he wants to just put a, just, let's just make it easy. Let's just put a cap. Any company over $100 billion uh, can't buy another company. That's it. Just hmm. can't buy it. So we want to limit growth, the kind of growth that creates jobs and wealth and uh, new products and innovation, that kind of growth. That's dead under, under his plan. But that's just because he's afraid of anything getting too big. I mean, heck, if you're going to do that, why don't we just say that there can be no big companies? Let's just say that the, every, there can't be a company bigger than, oh, just pick a number, because that's all they're doing is picking out of thin air. Uh, say $10 million, or I'll just even say a billion dollars. How's that? Uh, nothing bigger than that, ever, because that would somehow or another offend our sensibilities. So, but that's nuts. That's, it's really crazy nuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, the funny thing is, I remember back in the 60s, it was actually more in the 70s, my grandmother, my father's mother, lived in New Haven, Connecticut, where we were living because my dad was teaching at Yale uh, Law School. And she lived in an apartment there. And uh, she, uh, she was sort of wondering, what's going on at the, at the uh, Orange Street Market, this corner market? What, how come their prices are high and they don't have as many choices? Um, and then, you know, she said, and why are they going out of business? I mean, they seem to be going out of business. And I, I you know, my, my father said, where, where are you getting, your, you know, if you don't like that, what's happening there? What are you doing? Where, where are you getting your, your food? Oh, I go to the supermarket down the street. <laughs> yeah, so she went to a bigger, uh, you know, store that had more choices at lower prices. Um, but if you want to live in a world of tiny little stores that, have, that don't have choices and, and have higher prices, then sure, we can do that. It's quaint, but it's not very, you know, I, I go to a, I, I just recently moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, and I go to a Wegmans. I don't know if you have Wegmans where you are, yeah. but it's huge, and they have mm-hmm. everything. They have, and they have more of everything than I know what to do with, and, they, and it's not expensive. So, you know, I might, should I be angry about that because it's big um, and because that the, the little corner market doesn't exist anymore? I guess I can be nostalgic about the corner market, but I like going to Wegmans, so that's where I go. 
we have hope another I some oh. of your question. Yeah. Two five okay. four. Yep. So that's where everybody uh, goes to Walmart, huh? I'm sorry, what was that? I said I guess that's why everybody goes to Walmart. They have everything. Uh, I don't go to Walmart. Um, I have no reason to go to Walmart, but I frankly do a lot of my shopping on Amazon because I'm lazy. <laughs> and uh, I, I, they have more stuff, and you know the prices are about right, and I'm, you know, get free delivery, and I don't have to go out, uh, you know, waste my valuable free time, you know, going to the store. But I do sometimes go to stores, you know, if I want to buy a suit or something, which actually. Haven't bought a suit in about three years now. Cause, but uh, you know, if I want to buy, if I want to buy something, like, I'll, I'll go to the store. You know, if I want to try something on, so yeah. It, it, look, it's a different world than when I was a kid, and probably even when yep. you were kids. So, and there's more choices mm-hmm. and more ways to get stuff. Definitely. Seven three two five three nine. Do you have a question for Robert H. Bork Jr.? Hello? Okay. I'm so persuasive. I know. <laughs> we, we have quite a few listeners here. Uh, uh, I wanted to touch on, on, do you believe that the Democrats will pack the Supreme Court like they want to? No. I don't think it's going to happen. I, okay. I, first of all, I, I, I think that was a moment uh, in time uh, when they thought they could do that. And I don't think, I think it's passed. I think, frankly, the, this term, the Supreme Court has, you know, been sort of moderate in a lot of its decisions. And so there's not, you know, it sort of let the steam out of the, or the air out of the balloon. Um, right. I suppose it could come back, but I, I just don't see it happening. Well, President Trump was able to get, during his term, three conservatives. Uh, yeah, and he's, denounced, and he's denounced all of them now. <laughs> I don't know if you're still. Yeah, I was just going in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what, if your father would have been on the Supreme Court, how would he have been able to work with uh, President Reagan in regards? Because well, Reagan would have been out of office. Pretty, much, pretty quickly, you know, they nominated my, nominated my dad in 1987. He was rejected by the committee, by the Senate, on October 23rd, 1987, and Reagan was out of office, uh, you know, uh, uh, a year okay. later. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We're, Supreme Court justices don't work with presidents. I think Donald Trump is kind of disturbed by that. He probably thought they all worked for him. But... Um, but uh, no, they don't, and and, they're, and frankly, they're always a dis- Republican ones in particular are always a disappointment to to the Republican presidents in some way or another, uh, because they are largely free thinkers uh, who have uh, a point of view, uh, perhaps a philosophy like Scalia or or uh, um, Clarence Thomas. Uh, Alito, Alito, Alito. Alito, yeah, you know, so so once they're on, they have lifetime tenure. They don't care what the president thinks. They're they're all about, and and frankly, there's a lot of, you know, I don't want to say horse trading, but there's a lot of st- stuff that goes on up there between the justices, 
um, you know, working out their differences and sort of thing. So sometimes you get a you get decisions that you can't understand how particular justice could possibly rule that way. Well, maybe he ruled that way or she ruled that way because they're trying to make a deal on some other case. I mean, there's, there's some of that that goes on. I'm absolutely sure of it. But uh, but you know, I, I there's not going to be there's not going to be a packed court. There's not going to be a uh, you know, they're not going up to 13 justices anytime soon. And now, now the latest that has come out of the Supreme Court is that the Democrats are trying to push Stephen Breyer out. They want him to retire, and he doesn't want to. Why retire. do you think that is? Well, uh, they want someone younger with a yeah. more progressive, progressive. Yeah. Guess who the way. guess who the biggest champion? For the consumer welfare standard is on the Supreme Court of the United States. Stephen Breyer. Stephen, Stephen Breyer. Yeah. I mean, he's not, you know, crazy liberal on everything. He's pretty good on a lot of economic stuff, and uh, particularly on antitrust, regulatory stuff. So uh, they don't like that. They've got to get him out of there. And he's and he's older, and they you know they want they want a chance to nominate somebody uh, young and progressive. Correct. Correct. Uh, your dad view on one person one vote principle. What was that all about? Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, I, I'm not sure I remember what the what, what that fight was all about. Um, I, I, if it's like many of the other fights, I'm sure they misunderstood what he was trying to say. My father had the unfortunate. Um, ability uh, or habit of staking out a principle and, uh, you know, like, for example, on Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. um, his, his view was the, that the decision was incomprehensible, had no basis in the Constitution. He didn't say that you couldn't pass, abor you know, pro-abortion laws in the states, just that the Supreme Court had no business writing that decision because it made no sense. It was wrong constitutionally. But, you know, he, he and, I, and I think one can argue that, that uh, we'd be in a better place in this country now if that decision hadn't been made by the court because it would have worked its way through the political process and we would have, you know, vast majority, if not all of the states, maybe not all, but vast majority of the states would pass their own laws mm -hmm. uh, because, and, and the voters would, would support it in those states, you know, allowing abortion. Um, but we wouldn't have an edict from nine unelected justices telling us this is how it is, and you, you, know, and you, have, not, and you have no say about it, particularly something that controversial and that political. So, again, my father liked to stake out hard positions uh, and sometimes say them kind of um, directly and <laughs> tend, tend, tend to confuse people. Um, you know, I'm sure personally uh, he was opposed to abortion, but he never said, he never said that as a Supreme Court justice, uh, you know, uh, he would overturn Roe v. Wade. I think he did after he was on the court. After he lost his confirmation, he wrote about that. But again, 
it was for him uh, a sort of uh, constitutional position, not a uh, not trying to enforce his own morality. Uh, right. And that's well, that's something that always bothered him about the Supreme Court was they're always out there enforcing their own personal morality instead of relying on what the Constitution itself said. Uh, well, we we've seen more of these judges from on the Supreme Court and also on the federal federal uh, federal uh, judges and even state judges becoming more activist judges than actually following the Constitution. Yes, that's true. And that's why it's good. That's why it's good for them to have, you know, uh, firm uh, principles that they should follow, uh, because otherwise, it's whatever you know comes out of their brains. <laughs> whatever you know, it's, you, you get what you get is a judicial Ouija board, and given <laughs> you know, you, what, given whatever they feel at that moment uh, is what they're going to write. You know, as uh, Justice Douglas wrote about penumbras and emanations, and actually it wasn't Justice Douglas, uh, emanations and penumbras, he just picked it out of thin air. But that's not the way to go. That doesn't help. It does not help our society and our culture come to grips with difficult issues if nine unelected justices just, you know, make it up out of thin air. Definitely. Let the political process work. And I, I think more often than not, you'll see the cut works in the way that liberals want. Totally. Once again, the name of the book and where we can get it. And do you have a website for it, too? Well, uh, so I'm doing a lot of work in antitrust now, trying to explain it to people. There's a website called uh, uh, antitrusteducationproject.org. I recommend okay. people go there to learn more about the Consumer Welfare Standard and and uh, lots of uh, things uh, posted there. Uh, the book, The Antitrust Paradox, reissued in 2021 with a new introduction by Mike Lee and a forward by me, uh, is available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and, uh, and I think Apple, too, but I've never looked there, so I don't know. And, uh, uh, you know, I would just ask people to give it a read, and you'll see I think that it's very accessible, and it's particularly relevant to what's going on today in this struggle uh, over the future of the economy and uh, and business. Uh, you know, the the ideas that we're trying to defend are in the antitrust paradox, and, and from, I'm trying to defend them against this uh, wholesale uh, attack uh, by the left and some Republicans. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, uh, because there's a lot of Republicans that are basically not real Republicans. Now, uh, the Bork Group, that's, uh, that's your organization. Uh, that's what I do for a living, yeah. For a living. So, and, and you're also a publisher. You have a publishing. Uh, well, I just, I just when, I wanted, when I decided I wanted to publish the Antitrust Paradox, I had to go get the rights back from the publisher who wasn't who wasn't publishing the book. It was just sitting there; it wasn't doing anything. And then I, I went to some mainstream publishers, and one or two were interested, um, but they said it would take them about four years to get to it. And I said, No, 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 no. We, <laughs> this, the, tr- the fight is now. I want people <laughs> to read this book now. So I, you know, got a lawyer. That's what you do. And we created Bork Publishing, uh, and we're self-publishing the book. Uh, 
and so uh, you know, I'm a publisher, and I run these. Uh, I run the Bork Foundation, which is about my father's legacy, and I also run the Antitrust Paradox, the Antitrust uh, Education Project, which is about the issues you know, currently in antitrust law. And, um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm you know making a living uh, being a you know advisor and consultant to uh, corporations and individuals about. Uh, how to communicate when they get themselves in messy situations. So, independent communication talent. Yes. Well, I, I actually had a company of my own for a while. I had about 15 employees, and I discovered something quickly. I'm a horrible boss, and uh, <laughs> and I and I don't like being a boss, and I don't like employees. Uh, I do, however, like knowing you know a bunch of people that I've met over the years who are good at writing and strategy and you know uh-huh. uh, uh, you know internet stuff and and so we we all just sort of they're all independent I, I feel like i'm like mr briggs in mission impossible you know if there's a <laughs> problem i sit there with my portfolio and i pull out uh pictures of them you know i i put together a team and they're all independent so oh fantastic well robert fork jr it's it's been a pleasure talking to you take Thank you for taking time out to come on the uh, program, Broadcasting Politics, and um, definitely going to be uh, looking to get your book, and I, our audience are really, really excited that you came on tonight, um, getting good well, feedback, and, and I enjoyed it. And I tell you, University of Virginia, Charlottesville, is a beautiful, beautiful location. Oh, yeah. I love it here. Uh, you know, left left D.C. because I just got tired of the Beltway and all the madness there. Or as they oh, yeah. say in Star Wars, they, you know, it's a hive of scum and villainy. Um, <laughs> and it's very pretty down here. So, But I can get there yeah. if I need to. But I don't Yeah, it is. So. It is. Right. I, I've been there. It's beautiful. Uh, all right, great. Thank you. Thank wish you. you the, wish you the best and, and really enjoyed it. And Hopefully, you'll come back again. I'd love to. Thanks so much. All right. Have a good evening. That you was Robert H. Robert H. Ford Jr. with the new updated version of The Antitrust Paradox by Judge Robert H. Fork. So uh, let's look forward to um, next week. We will have another special guest that... We we will know very soon. I think it was it was enjoyable. I think uh, we learned a lot, and especially in regards to Section 230, everyone out there needs to get a bit more informed of what that actually means. So um, we should be really looking at the common situation with big tech and government. That needs to be uh, scrutinized, and I think um, the politicians in D.C. need to, who believe in free speech, need to really tackle the situation before it gets out of control. And at this point, uh, the censoring is really getting out of control. So God bless America. We will be back next Thursday, same time, same channel. Good night.